Just one more game, folks. Just one more game. Uh, embarrassed again. Welcome back to Kevin's Corner. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is with me. Um, and really, it's a shame that that's where I guess my brain goes to start this podcast. That as we sit here on January 2nd, Happy New Year. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Kevin's Corner. But it's draft scenario season. I'm literally writing an article last night of. If the Cardinals win and the Broncos win and the Colts lose, they can move up to third. Like That's where we're at right now. And in the midst of it all, the Colts are playing football games and they're getting manhandled. Um, and yesterday was another embarrassing performance. They lose 38-10 to to the Giants. Eddie, you are a big NFL fan, so I think you realize it, but the Giants are not some juggernaut. They're going to make the playoffs. But leading into yesterday, they had won eight games this season, all eight of them by eight points or less. They had kind of been the Vikings, you know, king of the one-possession games, and yet they beat the Colts by 28 points. And when we talk embarrassment, it's now just a weekly occurrence. Some historic loss, some just... Hey, the Colts have been taken off national television. The Colts have been, uh, yeah, we're going to move you off the Colts-Giants game. Hallelujah, people are saying across the nation. Yep. You guys have heard me say it for weeks, and I apologize for repeating myself, but I think it's worth mentioning again. The season has gone from disappointing to embarrassing. It is a weekly embarrassment now, which I think is worth mentioning. It's not just an overall embarrassment. Week in, week out, this football team comes and plays 60 minutes of football, and you're embarrassed. And when you look at the the teams around the Colts, Eddie, in the current draft order standings, all of them have had a game or two here in December and into January where it's like, oh, wow, that team's still showing some fight. Did the Texans not take Kansas City to overtime? They did. Did they not win at, at Tennessee? Seemingly every week. I know it's not every week. It wasn't Sunday. But Justin Fields and the Bears have been a pretty competitive team. Yep. Uh, you saw the Rams, you know, get a big win over Denver. Hell, Denver almost beat Kansas City. I know. I was I was hoping for it. I Yesterday. Was, I was which, sitting there. I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Seriously, in that uh, late 1 o'clock window, you had Arizona and Denver both in positions to help you out. Neither did. But, again, what like, I'm getting at is... You're like, damn, come on. <laughs> finish those games out. Come on. Which is a shame, again, that that's where our minds are at right now. But I think if you're Jim Ursay, how does this stuff not just grow and all of a sudden the simmer becomes a boil and the boil is now, you know, all over the stove? Like, I mean, how does it not get to that point? Because his words publicly are not there, but the actions of his football team, boy, the Jim Ursay, I know that would be really, really pissing me off. So I know it's a long winded to open up. Eddie, good to see you again. Nice to see you. It's been a, it's been a, almost a whole year since we've last spoke. Ah, look at you. You were. Ready. I had to, I had to pull the card. That should be the dad joke that I should be using. Yeah. On that, you know, I always say this about vacation, and I did the show Monday, Tuesday from down in Florida, and then took some time off. I try and find the balance of a little bit of work to just kind of stay in the flow of it, but then also get some family time. I'm a big routine person, though. Oh, I can see that. Huge routine person, and I absolutely love what I do for a living. Absolutely love it. So I woke up today, even though Max was feeling under the weather last night and was was up quite a bit, like energized, ready to go. And then I'm driving in. I'm like, I have Damn, to work with dude. Jake. Well, <laughs> trust me, that was that was part of it. Uh, no, I, I I think to myself, dude, in twenty to what twenty? I don't know, but let's say twenty. In twenty NFL markets today, they're debating the playoffs. They're talking about week eighteen scenarios. And here, we're going to have the same conversation that we've had now for several weeks. The Indiana Pacers? Well, we could certainly talk Pacers. Uh-huh. And I do think we have a Pacers Twitter question. We which, do. I, I saw that. And I, I liked the little bone you threw me there to talk a, lot, a little bit about my sirs. And for those that don't know, Eddie Garrison produces um, every Pacers radio broadcast here, as we are the Pacers flagship station. It, it just is a reminder of how different and foreign and unusual of a season this is. Um, again, it's the most disappointing season in Jim Irsay's ownership, which dates back to the late 90s, and it's the most embarrassing season as well. I guess a couple thoughts just on yesterday, Eddie, before we get into it. Um, 
you know, little big picture stuff, the more I watch this football team play, some thoughts pop into my head. One, is Jim Mercer at the root of all this? Jim Mercer decided to interject when the Colts were 3-3-1. and Demand the benching of Matt Ryan. They're 1-8 and since then. The benching of Matt Ryan was followed by the firing of Marcus Brady the next week and the firing of Frank Reich two weeks later. Again, they're a 1-8 football team since Jim Mercer said that. Remember his tweet after the Raiders game of, you know, you righteous fans that criticize, it's just win, baby, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Something like that, yeah. They're 0-6 since that tweet. Um, that's a thought. My other thought when I continue to watch this product week in and week out, when has it become more of a reflection on personnel than anything? Yeah. Is this just a poorly constructed football team? Is this just a bad personnel? And I'm mainly talking about the offensive unit. Uh, that's a thought that I've had. And then lastly, what has Jeff Saturday improved? That's something I was going to ask you. Jeff Saturday was thrown into a pretty awful situation. Um, not a lot of room for success. But you look around the NFL, you look around any sport, again, there's the glimmer of an interim jolt at some point. Steve you know? Wilkes in yeah, Carolina. You know, last Rich, year with, yeah. Rich Passaccia, obviously, with the Raiders last year. And I pointed out those teams that are bad, that have had moments here in December and January earlier. The, Col- the Colts don't, haven't sniffed that, you know, of having those sorts of moments. Um and Jim Mersey made it very clear when he hired Jeff Saturday, he was not going to fire Frank Reich just to fire him. He yeah. wanted Jeff Saturday. And Jeff Saturday walked into this situation, and he wants his job permanently. So when I hear those two things, I think to myself, we have to evaluate. Yeah, like we, we, You have to look at this product and look at it with some sort of microscope. Um, you can acknowledge, of course, again, the situation was awkward. But also sit here and say, this team has gotten worse under yes. Jeff Saturday. Yes. Um, so those are all just kind of thoughts that were running through my head. We will briefly, I guess, get into what I didn't like and what I liked from Sunday because I am a man of repetition and this is what I promised you on the podcast. So I'm going to deliver or at least attempt to deliver. Obviously, the Twitter questions are pretty big picture. We'll stick to just one pod this week. And then, Eddie, when we do this pod a week from today... That'll be Black Monday. Let's go. And boo. We'll, we'll, we'll see where the other openings are around the league. Right now, there's three of them. Indy, Carolina, and Denver. Um, you know, in terms of the Chris Bauer situation, technically, there's no announcement that needs to be made. He's under contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's a GM. It's not like, I mean, we'll, we'll hear from Ballard at some point after the season. Maybe. But <laughs> I, I assume. But... It's not like you're going to get some grand statement. Who knows? Maybe Ursay will talk after the game on Sunday. We'll have to see how all of that plays out. Um, but unless you got anything else to add, let's just get into what I didn't like from yesterday. The only thing I have to add here is like you talked about it briefly on Jeff Saturday and getting worse. Like the offense has looked anemic. Like I don't think they can score on Center Grove's defense yeah. here. Anemic in is a great word to use. Like. Everything about it and the excuse of oh well we're short hand I don't I don't care. Like these are professional athletes. How much coaching could they possibly need? Well, you know, Eddie, and it's not just like again, short handed um you're losing a game by three points. Right. Or you're scoring seventeen. You know, like you're offensively you're not even producing any semblance of consistency whatsoever. You know, Bobby O'Carrick gives you that punch out yesterday. And I'm like, oh, here's the Colts, great chance. Uh, three plays, one yard, Chase McLaughlin, 48-yard field goal, and he proves that he's human, and he misses one. I mean, like that that's just kind of where you're at right now as an offensive product. And it's unbelievable to watch just the amount of – and I guess l- let's just get into what I what I didn't like. I, I assume I told you let's start off with the offense. What uh, offense? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Touche to say, to say the least there. Um you know, when you watch Nick Foles early on in that game try to attempt passes, just the suffocation and the lack of separation or the lack of some sort of clean air around your pass catchers when Foles is trying to throw the football is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, and that was apparent all throughout yesterday. Of course, the interception that Foles threw late first half was an equally horrible decision and throw in that thinking he could cash that 
or write that check. Um, and that was a pick six that obviously put the game away for good and then Foles, which a very ugly incident there, him getting hurt and laying there in pain. And by the way, that play to me, as it's probably a little sick that my mind went there a little bit early after the play, but I thought to myself, this is why you bench Matt Ryan because that could have been $17 million was, laying yeah. there on the turf uh, it, with him not passing that physical for 2023. So this is why I've been <laughs> probably yelling uh, to bench Matt Ryan. And by the way, no Matt Ryan on Sunday. And that's me saying that. That's not me knowing what the Colts are going to do. Uh, I, I wouldn't dress him. Go, go, and I, I, I assume they will dress him, but Ellinger start and go find another quarterback. Chad Kelly's out there yeah, somewhere, swag, right? Swag, Jim Sorge, Curtis Painter, you know, whoever uh, can be under. Jack Cohn, bring him back. Jacob Eason. After the preseason. Jacob Eason's somewhere, right? He's in Vegas. Was he Vegas? Yeah. Wow, good for him. Um, so yeah, the, the the offensive effort. I mean, I guess Zach Moss had a couple nice runs, but again, this passing game, dude, it's just it's so painful to watch it unfold. Uh, you eventually got in the end zone, and that ended the streak of what thirty drives without a touchdown, spanning nearly nine quarters. And it's the first fourth quarter touchdown since the Raiders game. Late third, right, Pittman? Pittman was in the fourth. Two minutes ago in the third. Then they scored. I thought that was in the fourth quarter. No, sixteen play drive, two oh eight to go in the third. Um, that made it thirty one to ten. I made that point. Obviously, it was me. Unless you had Michael Pittman on your fantasy team, which I I, I might have. Uh, so that's where you are right now, offensively. I would say the other thing I was disappointed by Eddie was was the run defense. Um, gosh, was it five point nine a carry? You know, Barkley's four point eight. Matt Breida, 6.6. So even if you take out the Daniel Jones, 11 for 91, you know, typically the Colts have been really good at stopping, you know, traditional downhill running attacks, and they were not that yesterday. And then Daniel Jones, the ability to make some plays outside of the pocket. You guys have heard me say this for years now on the podcast, but just the, you know, did you watch Sunday Night Football last night, Eddie? Uh, Bits and pieces. You see Kenny Pickett to Najee Harris to win the game? Uh, I did not see that the one. The eventual game winner. I did not see that. If you watch a high, the, the highlight of that, it's a quarterback that has the ability to make a play with his legs. They don't need to be Lamar Jackson, but the Colts' next QB has got to have the ability to be mobile, to extend to some degree. Daniel Jones is a pretty good runner. Uh, luckily, college football produces more and more of those year in and year out, uh, but that was something that um, that I wanted to sneak in there. You know, the fourth and one decision early in the game, I, I probably just would have gone for it there. I also would have just taken the delay a game, at least try to draw them off sides. I mean, what's the difference between a 23-yard field goal and a 28-yard field goal? Yep. Um, and then again, from a, from a defensive standpoint, I, I just feel like that unit's starting to crack. And it's a bit understandable that that group is starting to crack. Um, but I, I, I was disappointed. I don't look at the Giants as some juggernaut and – um, and I guess, you know, what, 31 of those points comes from the offense. But I, I expect them to be a good run defense team, and they were not that. So that is what I didn't like from yesterday. I said on the midday show, I think this was Friday on the fan, um, I, I, I had the feeling that this game would just go sideways. And at Brendan and uh, Jimmy – brought up the point that's like Nick Foles is always good for one win and if there's a win out there this could be it with the pressure of you know the Giants having to win and they're in it and then I'm, I'm just saying like guys I mean this offense how how can you rely on them to score points like you just can't bank on this offense scoring points enough to win yeah it's been the case all year and especially under Saturday you know what I I think I predicted I forget what my exact score prediction was, like 27-16, 23-13. I had 20-6. to six. I, I, I didn't think the, the Giants offense would be able to put up 31. Right. I was with you on, on that part of it. Obviously, wasn't with you on the score. But literally, where I'm at with the Colts right now is I just assume that Dallas Flowers will have a 50-yard kick return and you fall into points. Or, you know, the Bobby Okereke punch out where your defense is able to set you up into that that sort of situation. But this offense, man, it is just so historically bad. Uh, I'm trying to look at my score. Yeah, 23-16. Boy, I was an idiot. 
Yeah. How about that? I was the high. Everybody had 16 or lower. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, we're talking about the NFL team, and that, those are the scores that you are you are predicting. I find it fitting in a way, and, and, and maybe disappointing, Eddie, that each of the last two weeks, you've had the chance to play spoiler, and you got Three. spoiled last season. Yeah, I guess the Vikings as well. That is that is a good point. Um, you look at last year, you got spoiled by the Raiders and the Jacks. Yep. And your chance to play spoiler, which each each of these two, you know, three games now, um, and specifically I was only looking at the last two weeks, and it's, what, 58 to 13? Yeah. In those two games. So, and again, you can throw in the second half of the Minnesota game. And I feel so bad for Bobby Okereke and Zaire Franklin because, and Rodney Thomas to a degree, those three players yesterday were the only three players that gave a blank. Yeah. And played until the very end of the game. Everyone else quit defensively. They just quit. And, and you know, I guess for what I liked, Eddie, let's go here. I'm glad you brought those names up. I just want to mention a few names that pop into my head as guys that I'm going to look at at the end of the year and think, you know what? Pretty good. Or job well done. That they deserve some sort of commendable, commendable effort for what they did in 2022. You brought up Franklin and Okereke. Couldn't agree more. I'll throw Grover Stewart into that mix. Um, it hasn't been a perfect year by any means, but just the fact that he's been able to put on a helmet every week, Eddie. Paris. Paris Campbell. I'd throw it there. Um, How about the one deep ball they got to him? I know. That was a little... And the boy, I actually like that situation where they left Mo and I think it was Zach Moss both in the backfield to block. Nick Foles took a shot there. Um, I'd throw Rodney Thomas into that group, or excuse me, Rodney McLeod. I know that you that you mentioned Thomas earlier. I'd throw Stephon Gilmore into that group, uh, Chase McLaughlin into that group. Is that where I stop? Yeah. I mean, shit, yeah, I mean, it, who else? Quiddy's had flashes and so has Dio. Yeah, I, I, again, I, maybe it's based off where they were drafted just a little bit yeah, more. yeah. If if I'm gonna make a category of guys that I've been really really impressed by, if, again for a variety of reasons, um, I will mention those names. So, uh, one more game left. You got anything else to add before we get to Twitter questions? I do. I thought this was a little bit odd after the Minnesota game. We didn't have a chance to uh, do a pod. I don't think I can't or I can't remember Chargers game. Chargers. We, we now have a chance to do one. But I don't know if I I forgot to bring this up after the Minnesota pod or or what the case was, but. The release of Afadi Odeniabo. Yeah. That seemed a little odd to me. Do you have anything behind that? It was odd. I I, I do not have anything concrete um, from what I've somewhat gathered, like a little bit of stuff off the field. Okay. Um, now, did he get picked up? I don't know. Tampa? For some reason, Tampa is kind of popping into my head there. Um, so, yeah, that that is – it was not due to the penalty at the end of the game for what it's worth, the Minnesota game. Uh, but I did think that was a little bit odd. And Yes, Tampa. Um, yeah, and then they also, didn't they cut Curtis Brooks off the practice squad? Yeah. We don't see that. Draft pick and cut off the practice squad. Um, so, yeah, it's been odd. And I, you guys have heard me say this before, you know, and I brought it up a little bit earlier in the pod. At some point, isn't this personnel-driven? Eddie, like, where are the Chris Bauer would be the first one to tell you? Roster building is 12 months out of the year. You can find answers at any point during the season. Name one outside the building acquisition that has helped you. Grant Stewart. September, October, November. Yeah, I mean, seriously. It's just unbelievable where you're at right now. So 4-11-1. Again, to run down the draft order scenarios, Eddie, because welcome to the reality of the Colts in 2022. You are currently fifth in the draft order, all right? And they can't move back, correct? They can only move back to sixth if the Rams were to lose and the Colts win. They okay. can fall to six. So you could be three, four, five, or six. The way to get up to three or four, to get up to four, it would be the Cardinals or the Broncos winning in Week 18. Cardinals have the 49ers, Broncos have the Chargers, and the Colts lose. If both of those teams, Cardinals and Broncos, win and the Colts lose, then they would climb to three. And the other result, they would stay at five. So that covers everything on the draft order standpoint. Right now, you look at those first four above you, Texans, Bears, Seahawks, Cardinals. Texans are taking a quarterback. 
Bears are not. I would say the Seahawks are likely to take a QB. And I think the Cardinals is a true coin flip for me. Especially yeah. if they fire Cliff Kingsbury. I know they just extended him, so it'd be quite a hit to them. But their GM situation, of course, is I think Steve Kimes done there. Um, so I'll be very interested to how that plays out. All in all, we'll get into CJ Stroud and more. Oh, uh, do we get questions about Stroud? Um, I don't think so for this one. Not okay. this pod. Yeah, not Let me this just pod. Interject here quickly about CJ Stroud. I thought what impressed me the most Eddie Saturday night. And unfortunately, this is a knock on Bryce Young, who I really, really like. Really, really like. C.J. Stroud answered questions Saturday night that Bryce Young can't answer. What's the biggest knock on Bryce Young? His height. He can't answer that. He can't or he can't change that, I guess would be right. a better way to put it. The biggest issues with C.J. Stroud entering Saturday was things are too perfect around him. You don't see him in enough chaos to see what he can do, to see him be a creator. We've had the Dane Brugler audio on this podcast Think creator, not passer. Yeah, talking about quarterback. That dude created his ass off on Saturday night. And when you watch him run, the dude ain't Jacoby Brissett. Like he, he's athletic. he's not Lamar Jackson, but he can move. And he showed that on Saturday night. He delivered. Kirk Herbstreit mentioned this on many occasions. I was so impressed by his body language. Yes, I just felt like he looked like a guy, a la Justin Fields. I remember against Clemson a few years ago in the semifinal game. That just that moment was not too big for him. And again, I've watched a lot of Ohio State and a lot of Big Ten football. I'm not used to seeing Stroud look like that. So I was extremely impressed. And if you look at the quarterback situation right now with the draft, again, sitting at five, that might be the third quarterback. The good news is you could still move up. And the good news is, again, you got Chicago sitting there at two. And you've got to go get the guy. I, we'll get into this more in the offseason. I think one of the biggest misnomers, laziest excuses with the Chris Boward era is he hasn't had the ability to draft his quarterback. I, we'll go over this on a offseason pod, Eddie. But look at what Baltimore did to get Jackson. Look what Kansas City did to get Mahomes. Look what Josh Allen did, or excuse me, Buffalo did to get Josh Allen. None of those franchises sat on their ass and said, you wait to fall to us. A couple pods ago, I, I brought up the 2020 draft. That's where kind of... And that's when you're sitting at 13 and you made the trade for Buckner. For, for Buckner. And, you know, I would argue, Eddie, you've had other chances. I mean, sitting at 21 with with, with a yeah. pick. Like, you've got to go get the dude. You can't expect the dude to fall into your lap. And again, Kansas City, Buffalo, and Baltimore are perfect examples of it. But to that point, how do you get Bryce Young or C.J. Stratt? I'm probably a little bit more open-minded to Will Levis than most. I know a lot of them want, a lot of people just hate the stats, hate how he's looked in the SEC. Um, I think you counter that with a couple of things. One, throw him into Ohio State or Alabama's offense and see how he would play around those offensive linemen and skill players. And two, and this is a point you're going to make no matter if you draft Bryce Young or C.J. Stratt. You're going to have to effing develop. Yep. You are going to have to develop because that's just the name of the game. And some coaching, a lot of coaching, arguably, is going to be a big, big part of this. Uh, anything on your end before Twitter questions? Nope. I've just been a big CJ Stroud guy from the get go. Yeah, you, 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 you have been. Um, and again, I've watched him a lot and I needed to see Saturday night. I, I was not necessarily in that same boat. I needed to see Saturday night. Um, I have never been of the belief of, oh, he plays at Ohio State. None of their quarterbacks have success. Again, I think that's such a lazy narrative to use with him. I really liked what I saw. Now the question becomes, was that one game? Was that one game on a big-time environment? So it means even more. You know, you, you can look at a glass half full, glass yeah. half empty, depending how you want to. But um, I, I, I really like Bryce Young. But this will be some of the debate and some of the combo we'll have here over the next few months. Twitter question number one comes from James. KB, with all the insanity and instability that have been caused by questionable at best decisions, is it time to seriously consider moving up the timetable for one of the Jim Ursay daughters to take over in ownership? Let Jim go live out his rock and roll fantasies on his own. I've been a fan since 96, and this season is beyond painful. James points out how long he's been a fan. I guess, ironically, that kind of pairs up with when Jim Irsay became the sole owner. 
And as I've said numerous times, it is the most disappointing, most embarrassing season in that 25-year ownership. Uh, my first thought is no chance Jim Mercer is going to step aside. Zero chance whatsoever. He wants to be the one making the football decisions and will be the one making the main football decisions for his franchise probably in, until he passes, um, to be totally frank. Um, having said that, James, as I mentioned earlier on the podcast, Eddie, they're 1-8 since Ursay decided it was time for Matt Ryan. And you know what? He wanted Matt Ryan even earlier in the season Yep. than when he stepped in and officially did that. Um, it, it, the emotionally charged owner and the comments he made at that press conference as well, those were some scary comments in my opinion. And the result, the actions, have been a product that has just absolutely been horrific since then. Um, so again, I, I don't see Ursay taking any sort of backseat. To me, the bigger within his family, I guess, within within the the decision makers. The question that I would have more is, do you let your GM do the job that you've hired that person to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's probably a fine line in the NFL between having an owner that's interested but having an owner that's not going to meddle. You obviously want some football acumen with that person. Jim Mercy certainly has that. But you don't want to get too blurry. Yeah. And it's certainly blurry here in in Indy. But that would be my question. Can you hire a GM? And again, it might very well be Chris Bauer just staying here. Um, Do you trust that person to do the job and then have the head coach under that person? And I think it's so key just to align head coach and GM because I think when you don't do that, you naturally get backstabbing. Yep. You naturally get you have two people working in different directions and wanting different things. I mean, when Chris Bauer's watching that 2017 season unfold, there had to be an element to him that's like, oh man, the more we lose, the higher we're going to have with that draft pick, knowing that Chuck Pagano wasn't going to be the coach the next year mm-hmm. and Bauer was going nowhere. You know, it just you get some of that, and it's very awkward for a franchise. Agreed with you there. Uh, Garrett is next. Hey, Kevin, hope your family had an excellent Christmas. Garrett, we did. Big kitchen set for Rosie Bow. Thank you to the Witchker, uh, Peter Witchker, for helping me out on that front there. Um, I'm just upset you didn't have to build it yourself because I had a friend of mine. He got one of those for his um, one of his kids, and right. he was up until 3 in the morning putting that thing together. You know what? I have not been there yet. I, I assume I will be there at some point in my um, fatherhood, but uh, let's just say Rosie is thrilled by it. And we are very happy, <laughs> and we're very grateful to have great friends that could help us out there. Um, if the Colts' pass rush was at a D level last season, where would you grade them now? I've been mildly impressed watching Quiddy and Dio and feel as if they've anchored the defense well. Feels as if the offense doesn't deserve to be kept in the game by them each week. Also, I went to my first Pacers game last week against the Hawks. Any tips for enjoying a Pacers game? Thanks to you and Eddie. Happy holidays, fellas. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate that. We echo those same sentiments. I guess let's start with the Pacers before we get into um, a little bit of pass rush question. I am obsessed with Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Yep. I think gates open at what, 6 usually for a 7 o'clock tip? Uh, it's usually about... I can't tell if it's 90 or an hour. I think it's, it's an hour. Uh, I would walk around. I, I don't care where your tickets are. I'd walk around. I think the just the artwork and the ambiance and just kind of all the sights and sounds is really cool with on the, the concourse before games. Especially would, with the new renovations, there's right. a lot of cool and different things that they've put in right the field house now and again walk around the gift shop walk around you know see boomer whoever i love just kind of the main entryway there's always some fun activities of the pacemates going on um so i would definitely definitely do that that's take a t- check out the new skywalk that's up there I've yeah heard, i've it heard it's still really being cool r- r- i don't think it was open yet when i went to a game last month so maybe that's changed it's open now it, like is that, it open yeah it's open now so, yeah, I would definitely check that out. I, I was really looking forward to that. Um, but, yeah, Pacers, man, what a difference a year makes. Oh, yeah. Tyrese uh, okay. is him. As far as pass rush, you know, a D last year, Eddie, uh, feel free to rip me. I'd probably go C plus or B minus. I was going to say C. 
Okay. Well, I guess I'm son of a teacher and two teachers and being too generous with, with my grade here. The numbers are pretty strong when you look at just the pure sack numbers. Um, and I think they'll be a top half team in sacks this season, if I'm not mistaken. I don't feel like the passers has been there when you need it. That's why it's a C for me. And I don't think you've disrupted timing as much as I would like to see. And I know that's twofold. That's rush and cover. But that was the biggest thing that I thought was a knock on the Eberflus era. I didn't think you disrupted timing. You let opposing quarterbacks get into rhythms too easily. And too early in, in games. Correct. And I feel like that has kind of been something that you've continued to see. And when you've had a sack, it's just kind of like a, you know. It's like on a first, second and three or second and four. Yeah, just not like end of drive, end of half. End of game. Big part of the field, certainly end of game. That's where um, I would like to see it improve. But just more than anything, just like the amount of contested catches that I see the Colts have to make, and I know a lot of this on the Colts offense, but the amount of contested catches I see the Colts have to make versus Colts opponents have to make against the Colts is something that stands out to me every game. Yeah. And... Basically, if you target anybody besides Stephon Gilmore, you're going to get a good amount of space. I'd say Isaiah Rodgers. To make a catch. You know, Rodgers, yeah, it's probably probably could throw Rodgers in there. Uh, but that has been disappointing to me. And obviously, Gus Bradley, if he's here, if he's not, that'll be a big question that I continue to have. How much is the lack of passing offense on the pass catchers? This is from Mike. Obviously, offensive line, quarterback play, and play calling have been terrible, but there's been less talk about the receivers. I feel like Frank Reich was able to scheme them open at times, but now it seems like nobody is ever open. Follow-up question. Try and assign percentages of blame for the offensive line, the quarterback, play calling, and the receivers. Yeah, it's a really good question, Mike. Um, there's certainly blame to all of those groups, and I'm glad that you pointed that out. I would say in general, I think you are below average in the pass-catching group. It's been a little better than I thought it would be, but I still think you're below average with that pass-catching group overall. Um, and really, the whole offense is below average outside of running back. The whole, I mean, and in some spots, very below average quarterback yeah. being, of course, at the top of that list. So, you know, I would say the root of the, uh, of the issues offensively started with your offensive line this year. And mainly it's the return on, the, on investment that has really, really hurt you. So I would lay a lot of blame there, but I, I would put quarterback very close to first on that list. Just because you also pay that position more than any other, and you expect that position to be the ship that kind of rises the others. And you certainly have not had that there. I mean, play calling is involved in it as well. I wouldn't put that as big as the personnel. I think so much of it is offensive line and quarterback driven. Uh, again, there is blame to put at all of it. And I could probably listen to people that would put more blame on play calling or on on the receivers. But I would say the route to me is much more O-line quarterback. I, I, I'd put that at, you know... Combine it 75-80%. I think the start of the year, the root was the offensive line. And I think as of late, the offensive line has played better. Bernard Ryman's looked better. Will Fries has looked better. Um, but for me, out of all of that, I don't think there's a main problem now. Uh, and to me, the biggest one that stands out is the play scheme itself. You're asking players to do things that they don't succeed at. Like an Alec Pierce, he's not a guy that you run in the intermediate to short passing routes. He's a guy you need to get the ball down the field to. And I think I just feel like right now the offense hasn't put the receivers in their best positions to win or to succeed. You're not getting Paris Campbell involved on those crossing routes over the middle of the field and letting him do whatever he wants with the ball in his hands. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Eddie. I'd also th- I, I think your pass catchers right now are a lot of one-trick ponies. Agreed. That too, yeah. And I think that kind of hurts you. You, you. you pretty much know if you're an opposing member of a secondary, you line up across of Pittman, Campbell, Pierce, you, you know what they want to do. Yeah. And if you take that away... You know, that can obviously neutralize a whole lot. Um, but again, I, I just say in summary, 
you're just so below average at pretty much everything offensively, and the scheme is right up there. I mean, I, I think it's a scheme that lacks creativity. You watch a lot of opposing offenses throughout the year, and it's not like the Giants have got some, you know, great Household offensive names, skill. Yeah. I mean, their their wideout and tight end group is, you know, arguably the least known in the league. But just the fact that like Daniel Jones can run, and then with what they have with Breida and Saquon, those three they can do a lot of creative stuff. Yeah, with those three from a read option standpoint to having both in the backfield together, they can do some stuff. And the Colts just don't have that, or at least don't attempt to do that. Like, I thought, again, Matt Ryan can't run, but I thought to myself, with a Hines and a Taylor, you can do some of that stuff. It's not to the full extent, but you could. Yeah. I just never felt like that they did. Yeah, and like, when you watch some of these other offenses in the league, you watch, like, Tom Brady with Chris Godwin, or... Just watch San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco's beautiful to watch. Or, Or San Francisco, for example. You see a lot of, you see a lot of matchup-based, driven wide receiver cornerback lineups that play callers go for and then you see a lot of these receivers have choice routes or option routes they can go inside they can go outside and i feel like that element just isn't there where the where the receiver can you know get up get off the line of scrimmage and then choose which way he wants to go against that defensive back and i feel like everything right now is just so clogged up and there's no spacing for the receivers to get open no one strikes fear in a defense no one. No one, I mean, no one for the Colts strikes fear in an opposing defense. And that's a huge, huge issue. Gonzo is next. Hey, Kevin and Eddie. Love this name, Gonzo. <laughs> hey, Gonzo Kevin and Bowen. Eddie. If we have a third, we might need to go there. Unisex. I don't care, girl or boy. Hey, Kevin and Eddie. What a mess. The Jags being in the hunt for the AFC South being the last nail in this season's coffin. I was wondering if Chris Ballard decides to leave this ship come January or Jim Ursay decides this for him, what happens to high-profile names like Ed Dodds and or Morocco Brown? There have been general manager rumors regarding both in past off-seasons. What is your take here? GM Dodds would uh, seem like a good solution or is he slash his philosophy somewhat too similar to Chris Ballard. Always and again, superb job on the podcasts. Keep it up. Gonzo, thank you for that. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year, of course, to all of our listeners out there. I I know I've said this probably a couple times here in recent weeks, and I've had people reach out to me and be like, Kev, I'm sorry I haven't been able to listen to the podcast. I just can't take it anymore. And, and, and I get that. Um, but appreciate you guys that continue to tune in and um, just kind of the ebbs and flows of fandom, but this is where we're at right now. Okay, you know, as far as, I guess first, Eddie, I want to mention what's happening Saturday night. Jacksonville, Tennessee, playing for the AFC South crown. Did you see the stat? It'll be the first time in NFL history you'll, you'll have a division winner that's lost five straight games in a year. Nope. Both of those teams have lost five straight. Tennessee currently six. I wonder what the uh, odds were earlier in the year for Jacksonville to win the AFC South when... Yeah, it's a great point when Tennessee got off that good start. Yeah. Um, so, again, it's just a harsh reality of where you're at. Now, as far as the GM internal people, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's hard to know exactly what, like, an Ed Dodds, Morocco Brown exact philosophy is or really any GM candidate around the league. Um, I think it's a little bit easier to do that with head coaching candidates than that is to GM candidates. Um, you know, I was talking with someone – last week, who has played a big, big part in the Colts roster building with Chris Ballard. And this person was mentioning to me, like, I understand it hasn't been perfect, but I also understand if Chris Ballard's voice is muted in any way, he could see Ballard walking. And I know there are a lot of Colts fans out there that might like that. Um, But I think that is something just... I'm not saying like keep an eye on it necessarily. I'm not acting like there's like 100% validity that that's going to happen or anything like that. But it's something that you guys heard me talk about the Tuesday after the press conference of firing Frank Reich of, man, if I'm Chris Bauer and I trust my resume, I might say, see you later. Um, I get it. The financial security and the fact that your family's here is a big, big part of wanting to be here long term. Um, But 
if you're thinking about your professional future, that is something I think to keep keep an eye on there. Um, so I'll be really interested to see just how the Colts handle this. I continue to think that Jim Irsay will bring Chris Bauer back. The only reason I give pause to that, Eddie, is this. When I asked Irsay that question at that press conference two months ago, Michael Jordan? He could have gone two ways. He could have gone, we need to evaluate everybody in our organization. It's a time that we're not used to in this franchise. I'll continue to evaluate Chris, and we'll see what happens. Or he could have gone the Michael Jordan route, and he went the Michael Jordan route. The other side of that is, when you heard him, was it ESPN? Yeah, with uh, Michelle Buck. He sat down. Reluctantly. Ursay sat down with Michelle Buck after the Vikings game, before the Chargers game, and had that sit down before Monday Night Football and mentioned that he reluctantly gave Frank Reich a contract extension and, and backed Chris Ballard. Said he would be the GM in 2023. What has happened since that game? Oof. You've lost 20-3 to in your own building on Monday Night Football, and then you lost 38-10 to in New York City last Sunday. So that's 58-13, to again, doing that math. And I'd call both of those performances in their own individual ways embarrassing. So you've had two more embarrassing performances. Yep. That is the one thing. Like, if you want Ballard and Saturday to be gone and you care about draft position— you need to cheer for 31 nothing inside your own building on Sunday, Texans over the Colts. And I get that goes against fandom 101 for whatever, 90% of fans. I don't know, maybe it's not that high right now. But that, that, that it goes against a lot of what people want to cheer for. Totally understand that. I'm just saying, if you want Ballard to change his mind, have a change of heart, cheer for embarrassment. Cheer for embarrassment. How empty do you think Lucas Oil Stadium will be Sunday? It's a great question. I was surprised about how what I felt like was a good environment the Chargers game was. Well, you've got Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, you, Austin Eckler. And, and maybe there's some Christmas, you know, hey, we bought a ticket to Christmas back yeah. months ago. And yeah, yeah. Game. You don't have that with you know, I was at January 8th. I was at dinner that night, Monday night. I was at, uh, Olivia and I were out to dinner, and we were at a, a hibachi steakhouse, and we sat down, and we were with this family of like five or six people all dressed up in Colts gear. And I'm like, you guys going to the game? They're like, yeah. Uh, you know, we bought these tickets in the preseason because before the season started because we thought it'd be a good game. Yeah. I was like, well, why'd you sell them? She goes, well, I mean, because I, we pay good money for these tickets, first of all. Second of all, I mean, it's a Monday night game. It's a nice time. Kids are one. Uh, they had two kids, and I believe one was in college. Uh, the other two were in high school. Uh, one was... The whole family can get together, have a night together, have some fun, and go out and watch, you know, a football game. And obviously, like, a lot okay. of people are either home from school, just home visiting family, not right. working on December twenty sixth, December twenty seventh, all of that. So, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see what it looks like in there on Sunday. Uh, CR, with how bad the quarterback play has been, and the fact that the Colts' offense was the number one offense for stretch of last season. Do the Colts owe Carson Wentz an apology? And I think you can remove Colts and replace that with Jim Ursay. Yeah, I thought it was ridiculous how Jim Ursay described Carson Wentz um, throughout the offseason. And again, as someone in my position, Jim Ursay being candid is what I want. <laughs> you right. know, I, I want honesty, I want candor. Um, so I appreciate that, but I can disagree with the opinion. And. You know, I, I think we said it at the time. You know, both instances can be true. Did the Colts need to move on from Carson Wentz? Yes. Was Carson Wentz the sole issue in the 2021 season and the downfall of that season? Absolutely not. Um, and I just think Jim Mercer had a vendetta really against Carson Wentz from day one, va- vaccine related. Yeah, and I know that that might sound a little bit harsh and might be speaking out of turn there, but I but I truly believe that was a big big Ballard or uh, excuse me, Ursay issue. Uh, Creighton, do you believe this is the best Colts front four since the Mathis and Freeney days? All things considered, I don't think we have ever seen this much consistent pressure, even with our offense not giving the defense any hope. 
Also going to the Colts-Giants game this weekend, and I'm all about the tank, baby. Am I the only fan hoping we don't win another game this season? Creighton, I can say no. <laughs> well, Creighton, you got your wish, man. How about that? Being in the building and... I wonder if he was 1 of 14. Uh, by the time he probably submitted this, I don't know if he was... It sounds like he was going on his own and did not go on the Ursa Jet. Very cool that Jim Ursa did that, by the way. I'm sending some people to New York for that game. Um, you know, it is... Is this the best front four since Mathis Freeney? Hmm. There's probably some truth to that. Again, the lack of a consistent pass rush in critical moments worries me. But, Eddie, when have the Colts had a great consistent pass rush in the last decade? You know, it's not like they have. One thing I did want to mention here, I guess, is the Yannick Ngakwe situation. Yes. So, Eddie gets... Very weird. Yeah, so the Colts say on Saturday, I think Saturday was the day that they announced it, that he got hit hit in the throat against the Chargers, practiced all week long, felt discomfort in his throat after Friday's practice, and needed surgery on it. Um, I think Ngakwe tweeted something today, like year eight check or something Year like eight that. loading. G- year eight loading, so getting ready for next season. Again, he's a free agent. I think the Ngakwe free agency will be fascinating. He played 15 games this season. First time in his career he's missed multiple games in a year. Miss, missed two. Missed, obviously, Sunday and will miss this week. Nine and a half sacks. So those numbers, 15 games played, nine and a half sacks. They've been achieved by a Colts defensive end twice since 2013. Eric Walden. Eric Walden and Justin Houston. Both of those guys were 31 years old when they did it. Ngakwe's 27. Did Ngakwe have the most impactful nine and a half sacks you've ever seen? No. Definitely not. But he suits up, and he hovers around double-digit sacks every year. And he's 27, four years younger than Walden and Houston. Yeah. If you just like look at that, don't you have to re-sign him? You know, I saw something on Twitter late last night. I'm like, what in the actual hell? Somebody is putting out there that the reason behind Ngakwe's injury... Oh, I did see this. Him and Nelson got into it? Yeah. Yeah. I I have not heard that. Again, admittedly, I was out of pocket late last week. Um, I had not heard that. I, I guess my brief thoughts on that were Friday practice is usually pretty subdued from a physicality standpoint. Exactly. Um, for what it's worth, Ngakwe is not... Going up against Nelson, it's more of a Bernard Ryman thing. Um, I know Jeff Saturday's done a little bit more ones versus ones in practice, but I don't think it's something like they do, you know, snap in, snap out. Um, and it just seems like KB the last couple of weeks there's been more of those kind. Yeah, wasn't of, there like a Deion Jackson rumor about him and Jeff Saturday getting into yes. it? Deion Jackson, I believe, um, said that that was not true at all. Yeah, I mean, if that were the case, they got in a fight. Would you have some sort of punishment for Nelson? Would, right. Ngakwe issues. I, yeah, I, again, as of Monday morning, late Monday morning, I had not heard of that. Uh, Jason, we have two left and maybe a third if I can sneak it in for time purposes here. I think I remember you saying that Chris Ballard watches the games from the press box. Is this typical for general managers? Has he done it through the season of drudgery? Yeah, I, he um, home games, he, he's in his own you know box a little bit secluded from everyone. Visiting, rightfully so. Room. I would be uh, sure if I were him. I, would know, be. I always thought it odd. I'll never forget like seeing Larry Bird in the middle of a purple out in Toronto when you're during the playoffs, like literally sitting section twelve, rope ten. I'm like, that's so awkward that like <laughs> the president of an opposing team has to sit there. Uh, but yeah, I you know my, my seat. I think I mentioned this before. Mike Chapel and I were kind of the furthest down of any of the core writers on the beat, and I'm. God, the disrespect. Here. No, I, I I actually like it because it's closer to the 50-yard line. And I'm only like 10 or 15 feet away from the visiting GM, which I always enjoy. So, you know, I mean, Ooh. John Robinson and I were, whatever, 15 feet apart watching that Tennessee game. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, a couple of um, a couple of weeks well. back. So I, I always enjoy that. Now, you do have some GMs that sit in their owner's box anyways. So, like, a visiting GM might say, I'm not, I don't want to be in the press box. I know Howie Roseman does that with Philly. Okay. Uh, now Ballard does not do that. Um, probably smart by him on that front there. But yeah, Ballard is there. I've you know I've been he, he's he's an emotional human watching a football game. I'll, I'll just 
We'll leave it at that. Ed Dodds is on the field during the game. I know Ed has always been a guy that he likes to see. I've actually talked with Chris about this. I found it curious that Dodds on the field. Dodds basically wants to see body language. He wants to feel the guys during a game, which I get that. And I know a lot of people have brought up why is Carly Ursay on the sidelines during games wearing a headset. That is simply her trying to, I think, further kind of indoctrinate herself into the football side of the organization. Understand things. Yeah, I put zero like she's even more involved or she's down there because Jim wants her down there and he's she's spying on whatever, some sort of conspiracy theory that's cooked up out there. Um, she's at every practice. I mean, if you watch her training camp, she's very close by. Um Smartly, she's trying to, I think, get a little bit more of a closer look at what the organization, how the organization is being run on that side of the building. Yeah. She's been on so much of the business side of the building for a large part of her tenure there. So um, at some point, she's probably going to be the the lead lead horse in all this. So, yep. Um, yeah, I, I nothing. I, I, I know she stands out on the sideline because obviously there's not a lot of women, um, but that is why she's on the sideline. Could she become the first? Female owner? Boy, I... In the history of sports? Boy, I don't... There's got to be somebody, right? Is the uh, Ford daughter... Isn't the Ford daughter in Detroit, if I'm not mistaken? I feel like at some point you you would have had a family dynamic like the Ursa family has with their tree. Um, For some reason, she is popping into my mind. I feel like the Bears at one point, wasn't it... Was it Martha McCaskey? I don't know. I feel like the Bears were there with that. I'm sure I'm forgetting. Uh, yeah, some there's other been people. four. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like that's happened before. Uh, last question that you have on our little rundown for the pod is from Van. I'm going to throw one at you from left field after this. Okay. Uh, hey, Kev. Thanks for answering my question. I appreciate it. I got so bored watching the Colts that I switched to the Pacers game. This got me thinking. When was the last time Indy fans have been more excited about the Pacers than the Indianapolis Colts? I've been a fan of both since the mid-2000s, and this is the first time that I can remember. Thanks. Yeah, Ben, that's a good question. Um, Eddie, probably 2011 pops into my head. You know, 2011-12, weren't you making those runs with Paul? Yeah. You drafted Luck in 2012, so that quickly ignited, yeah, or reignited, I should say, some intense fandom there. Also, side note, can you believe he's been in the NBA for 13 years? Paul George? Yeah. Yeah. And he's really good at basketball. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. NBA players, when they announce how many years they've been playing, I'm always like, what? I mean, LeBron probably falls into that category (laughs) more than anybody else. I know our market isn't necessarily, or our, I should say our listening audience, Eddie, to the podcast, is necessarily as Colt Pacer-centric as we are, but I would assume there is, and I think based on the analytics I've seen, there's certainly more than, I think, 50-50 that are based here, or at least have you know, roots to the Indianapolis area. So this is a relevant question, I think, to a section of our audience, and I hope the, audience, the part of the audience that's not, they still find it relevant. A year ago, New Year's Eve, the Pacers lost on a game-winning shot to DeMar DeRozan. Um, I remember that, the one-legged, like... Yeah, very awkward, unbelievable shot by DeRozan, game-winner. We had Chad Buchanan, for those that don't know, he's a Pacers general manager, uh, on our radio show back in September, and he pretty much said that that shot by DeRozan was kind of the nail in the coffin of the Pacers thinking that the previous era still had a chance. Yep. That was it. Confirmed, yeah. Uh, yes, a month. I'd argue it probably should have been confirmed. You know, months before that, maybe a year before that. But nonetheless, on that day, the Pacers said enough's enough. A month and a half later, they trade for Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, they bought him out. Healed. Buddy healed. Yeah, I you know we get we got to start throwing Buddy into that into that uh, trade as well. Uh, they bought him out. They get the sixth overall pick. They draft Benedict Matherin, and here they are, twenty and seventeen, a year later, and have real young pieces. I think something the Pacers have that needs to be acknowledged with the Colts is the Pacers have created real hope. Yeah. Bad teams in professional sports, they naturally get hope. You are given hope when you're a bad football team via a draft pick. Because yeah. you're bad, you have a high draft pick. The Houston Texans right now are going to be handed a piece of hope here in a week. You then have to create real hope with that, if yeah. that makes sense. Correct. You can't just say, here's the pick, we suck. Now you got to hit on it. And if you look at the Pacers, they took the real hope 
and they hit on it with Benedict Matherin. And then you go back to the trade. I'd also like to say they hit on Andrew Nimhard too. Sure. Um, and then you go back and look at the trade, and that is a situation to where they created more hope as a franchise, realizing, hey, we've got some pieces that aren't working. Let's move them and try to get better. It's obviously easier to do that in the NBA than it is in the NFL. The NFL, so much of your hope is tied to the draft pick and hitting on the draft pick and a quarterback and hitting on that quarterback. That's what is that. That's where the Colts are at right now. I mean, what, the question earlier we had is, I turned off the Colts to watch the Pacers. Yeah, you don't see many people do that often at all, especially when it's a 17 game schedule versus an 82 game schedule. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can watch the NFL team, or I can watch the Pacers three more times this coming week. I can't watch the Colts yeah. three more times this coming week. The Pacers had a fan base filled with apathy a year ago today. Oh, 100. percent The Colts have a fan base that has a lot of apathy in it right now. How do you create real hope? How much of that is running it back with Ballard? How much of that is potentially running it back with Saturday? Start there. Those are the first decisions that you're making in the offseason. And then, of course, the big one will come in late April and what you do at quarterback and how you develop that quarterback for years to come. It will not be, in all likelihood, you won't see the immediate results like Halliburton and Matherin have given the Pacers. Part of that is the sport that they play. It's just it's just different. Yeah. But that is the task for the Colts. And it's a very foreign task. And, it, you know, they were spoon fed Golden Hope in 1998 and 2012. Oh, yes. Spoon fed it. You aren't spoon fed this one. Someone's handed it to you, but now you've got to create something with it. Yep. I'll be fascinated to see how all of it unfolds. Eddie Garrison, we got anything else? Do we have uh, to make a Colts Texans prediction? Uh, I'm not making one now. I do have one question. This was submitted after the Chargers game. Okay. Uh, so this was December 26th. This is from Mario. It was on Twitter. Um, he asked, what is so wrong about letting Sam Ellinger play? He's the only quarterback on the roster um, next year that's currently on the roster. By the way, are we more likely to sign Lamar Jackson or trade for Sean Payton? Oh, boy, that's juicy. I would say there's zero likelihood for either. Yes, I would say that. I'd say trade for Payton. I just... I feel like quarterback contracts, they always get it figured out. But with even with Sean Payton, it's going to cost you a first-round pick. And yeah, 0.1%. Okay, give me the Ellinger part again. Sorry. Um, Mario asks, what is so wrong about letting Sam Ellinger yeah. play? He's the only quarterback that is currently on the roster that will be back next year. Yeah. Contractually, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are still under contract for what it's worth, but I do agree with Mario on that part. I mean, how many times have I said it, Eddie? Play Ellinger. I mean, I've said it for weeks, months now, and I think you could make an argument. Again, I was more of the long-term view. You can make the argument, Eddie. He's better for you in the short term. If you're Jeff Saturday trying to win a football game right now, of Ryan Foles-Ellinger, it's it's probably Ellinger that gives you the best chance. Yeah. Which, again, is scary uh, to a degree, but that's where you're at right now. So um, I think the reason why to answer Mario's question is, Jeff Saturday, I think, comes from a line of football thinking that the veteran quarterback is the route to go, and he really loves the veteran aspect and the leadership and the command and all of that. And I think you watch Sam Ellinger in practice. You, you, you've been out of training camp. He's not going to wow you on a practice field. The no. arm is not going to wow you. His stature doesn't necessarily wow you. Um and I just don't think Jeff fully bought in. And again, Jim Irsay was going to let Jeff Saturday make that decision. So I think that's why you've seen the decision be that. This is one 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 final, final thing for me. I asked this, Brendan and Jimmy and I were discussing this last week, and I brought up this uh, question. You're the Indianapolis Colts, and assuming you take a quarterback in the first round with your top five pick, top six pick for sure, your expectation is for that guy to be the franchise quarterback. Right. If you draft that quarterback and he does end up being the franchise guy, I understand why fans want to see Sam Ellinger, but why do we need to know if he is a competent backup in the league? Like, you know, back in the day with Peyton Manning, he took all the first team reps and he said, if I'm out, you're not winning. And, like, I don't think people in Kansas City, certainly people in Cincinnati, um, and even to a degree in Los Angeles, 
with uh, the Chargers, if Burrow, Mahomes, any of those guys are out, they're not talking about their backup quarterback and or needing a backup quarterback. So I just don't understand. And that's uh, I don't understand, but why are we putting such an emphasis on figuring out if Sam Ellinger is a backup quarterback in the league if the Colts, you know, if all things go right and they hit on that draft pick? Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, Eddie. I do think it's important, though, to have the backup answer figured out because it is something that you've mentioned teams that obviously have not needed to rely on their backup. What about San Francisco? You know, that would be a counter to that of a team that is still in the race because they have had a proper quarterback depth chart and have been able to handle it and withstand it. And a lot of it is more of like what if, what happens in like a one or two game sample size? You know, if a QB goes down, do you have a guy that you trust? And that's how I view the Ellinger thing of he is very cheap right now. I mean, he's going to go into year three of his rookie deal, and that's a really cheap contract. Yeah, Backup quarterbacks can get pricey. If you can get an answer of like, oh, yeah, that guy can be a backup, then you just don't have to worry about that position. Um, by no means by saying long-term or anything like that, I hear you out on, I mean, good luck. Again, what is it, Chase Daniel and Brandon Allen, and I, I, I don't even know who the backups are in several of those areas. Yeah, you got them right, by the way. Of those cities that, that you mentioned, but it still matters to a degree. I, I, I'm not this one that puts an immense amount of stock in, like, must go find veteran backup quarterback, and it's got to be McCown. It's got to be Fitzpatrick. It's got to be whoever. I'm a little bit more on the younger side of things, especially when your starter is aging. But I, I, I think that is part of it. I, the Ellinger fascination has probably gotten a little bit too big, you know, in this city, in this market. Um, so that's probably Texas driven, and like a lot of people watch him in college football, and he's a fun guy to watch play quarterback, especially yeah. at the college level. I would argue more than any. But I think that's that that's a part of it. You got to see if he can be your backup because I don't think Nick Foles would want to be here next year. Matt Ryan should not be here next year. That's a question that you have. And if you can get a little bit of a stabilizing force behind that starter, good on you. Last thing I'll I'll mention, Eddie. This is me just asking kind of a rhetorical question, but it's a question I threw to Bob Kravitz and we had him on our show earlier today. In the next week plus. Would Jeff Saturday or Chris Ballard, and this is me just throwing out a hypothetical, would either of them go to Jim Irsay and say, it's either me or him? If you're Chris Ballard, would you say, either I stay and he goes or I go? Or would Jeff Saturday say, I want to be here. I deserve to be here. You want me here. But if I'm here... He goes in Chris Ballard. I, I I think if you're Ballard, you can't give Ursay that ultimatum. And I think a lot of people listening would say neither of those men deserve that ultimatum. But in Jim Ursay's eyes, I'd be very curious to hear how that would play out. For what it's worth, Bob said he thought that Saturday would have a little bit more. I could see that clout in that scenario. But I just think when we talk about head coach and GM, pairing them up together, it's something to keep in mind. And if you already have the GM that you feel like is the general manager, you have to let him go get the guy he wants for the fit in the marriage or pairing or relationship. Whatever phrasing you want to say, work. Eddie Garrison, Colts 17, Texans 13. Oh, Lord. Oh, man. I can't believe um, I just said that out loud. Got who's is it Mills? They went back to Mills. No Jeff Driscoll. Driscoll was the backup. Kyle Allen was inactive. I think they're somewhat healthy, but Damian Pierce is out for the year, right? Yeah, he's uh, he's on IR. So they've been rolling with uh, I think it's Dari Ugambawale yeah, and um, Rex Burkhead and company. Gosh, do I have to pick? You got to. I just did it. God dang it! I'll go. Um, Tie. Give me the tie. I'm just Let's kidding. Go. I'm just kidding. I'm just I, kidding. I would love that. Give me the tie more than anything. <laughs> I love do, that about you. I'll do Texans 2017. God. Imagine Texans fans listening to this being like, Eddie Garrison thinks the Texans are going to score 20. Granted, how many Colts fans are like, Kevin Bowen thinks the Colts are going to score 17? I think the Colts are scoring 17. <laughs> Eddie, have a happy new year. 
Thank you. Happy you New Year you to too. all of our listeners out there. Um, you know, oh, the off season's good win, by the way. Good win for the Irish. Yeah. Yes, thank you for that. That was an exciting game. Back and forth. Great, nice comeback. Um, yeah, I feel like bowl season's been really good. The semifinal game's just incredible. And that's yeah. all I want. I got little rooting interest. Give me good games. And for once, it finally lived up to it after all those duds of semifinal games, which Notre Dame have been involved in a few um, over the years. Podcast schedule throughout the offseason. We'll continue with one a week. I know there will be an emergency podcast, of course, coming up here in January, potentially February as well. But look for the next one a week from today. That would be Monday, January 9th. Everybody have a great week. Safe travels. As you get back into the swing of things, we'll talk to you next week.